Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Today, we are very happy to be here with you. Uh, unfortunately, it is, we are missing someone. He is today himself actually a ghost. Uh, but today, I am your host, Brendan, Mr. Fantastic, and with us, as always, is the man with the plan himself, the slick back Cadillac. I was going to go somewhere else with that, but I lost it. Uh, Kyle, with... Okay. Do you intentionally only make my intros good when I'm not with Ian? <laughs> like, is that what it is? Because he, he's never going to hear this, so because he doesn't listen to our show. So he'll never know that I had a good intro. He just always thinks he gets... You know what? Just let him think he gets the good intros. That's fine. Uh, how you doing? I'm not doing that bad. It's a day off, so I can't complain. Uh, woke up in the AM, had my coffee, and watched a horror movie. So it's going all right so far. Are you uh, Are you feeling better? I remember you weren't feeling too hot last time. It's kind of the same. Um, maybe a little better, but um, I don't know what's wrong with me. To be honest, it's just my um, yeah, my heart's just like been giving me problems lately. And if you guys don't know already, I I have like a heart condition, so I have good days, bad days, good weeks, bad weeks. I think this is just a bad week, and mm. it's it's just caused me a lot of shit. But I'm alive, and I'm here, and uh, I'm not dying or anything, so I don't want to make it sound too extreme. But um, it's just very uncomfortable. But I'm but I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. So. Glad to hear that you're doing all right. Um, so I know it's been almost what a whole week since we recorded. Whole seven um, days. <laughs> whole seven days. Do, definitely uh, not like two days or three days. So de- definitely not. Um, definitely not less than forty-eight hours. Um, Correct. Do you? Uh, do you? Uh, anything you've been imbibing in? Any? Uh, do you got any recommendations? Anything you want to throw out there? I watched John Carpenter's The Fog for the first time on four K, and John Carpenter is. I I don't know if I could say he's one of my favorite directors. I just like his movies because I feel like his movies are very hit and miss with me. But the ones that miss with me, I still enjoy. But I have a feeling that with a lot of John Carpenter's films, if it wasn't for his amazing soundtracks and just interesting premises, I I wouldn't like the movie as a whole that much. And I think The Fog is a perfect example of that. It's a pretty interesting premise. And the soundtrack is killer, obviously. But I feel like a lot of that movie is pretty fucking boring. And there's a lot of missed opportunity. Um, I'm very late to the party, obviously. And I know a lot of people love The Fog or just anything John Carpenter puts, uh, puts out. But And I did like The Fog. The Fog was cool, but it wasn't... You know, it, like it wasn't Carpenter at his best. And like when you see Carpenter at his best, you just expect that he can kind of pull off that consistency all the time. And I just don't think he does. But I still appreciate his flicks, even the ones that I don't like as much. And um, they have his Carpenter flair. But that's what I watched this week. Uh, two days, 48 hours. I mean, the whole week. <laughs> and uh, I mean, obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably already seen the movie. But if not... Uh, go check out The Fog by John Carpenter. You know, it's 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 one that's talked about a little less, but it's uh, it's written and directed by him. So it's a it's, it's a pretty good flick. It's a pretty good flick. Nice. Yeah. What My, about you, Brandon? Yeah. So if uh, if you're listening to this and you and you uh, casually dip in on our Discord here and there to see what's up, um, you will see that. Uh, I started my journey into Wayward Pines about a month ago, um, and then I kind of fell off of it like I did the first time I initially watched it when it was on TV. Um, but I finished it. I finished both seasons. I do recommend it very much, but there's a huge issue with season two. Season one was so mysterious and fun and interesting, but my big issue with it is is it so fast-paced? They were so worried that they weren't... It seemed like they were so worried that they weren't going to get renewed that every single episode has to have five or six major revelations. And it just feels... It feels so forced. And it it kind of led me to, to think that... It led me to think two things. One, Wayward Pines could have been the next Lost. <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever seen Lost. It's one of my favorite shows of all time. I mean, I know it's... 
importance in yeah. you know pop culture. But no, I've not um, seen it. I've not seen it. But so if one of the things about Lost is it takes its time, it builds its characters, and it raises questions. It raises a thousand questions, and then at the end of each season, answers one of those questions. And that's what I like. I like when that mystery builds and builds and builds. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, if if Wayward Pines would have taken their time and didn't worry about hitting fucking Nielsen numbers, it would have been so much better. Um, and then also my the one thing I'm actually kind of curious about your thoughts, um, especially with someone who's as big of a fan as uh, Twin Peaks as you are. Um, and I guess Twin Peaks isn't the best example because it was canceled after two seasons. Um, but I, do you think that a show like Lost or like Twin Peaks, again, bad example with Twin Peaks, but do you think a show like that could exist today? A show that's so nebulous with its ideas and so vague and and ambiguous. Do, do you think a show like that could exist today? Yeah, I mean, I I think it totally can. I think the audience has has grown accustomed to a more complicated storyline, as you know, things like that have released throughout the years. I think that um, the, the structure of Twin Peaks. I mean, he did it again in the return, so it could be done. And and I know a lot of Twin Peaks fans out there are going to um, disagree with me, obviously, but just my personal preference, I think The Return is the best season in Twin Peaks. And um, granted, I didn't grow up with Twin Peaks, so I know a lot of people have nostalgia, especially for season one. And uh, two gets a little weird. Not like weird as in like Lynch weird, but weird as in like... Uh, Why are they doing that? Some filler and then j just some weird choices to me, personally. But... Um, so yeah, I, I mean, the return being more recent, I think that it can be done. Um, but to your previous point, I think there's an important part of a television structure, which is uh, having each season kind of like its own show in a sense of like self-contained. So like each season can be a self-contained thing. And having one big thing that they're kind of building up to and having the season be the grand finale. If you look at all of like really popular, huge TV shows, uh, Breaking Bad comes off the top of my head. The, they have one singular focus for each season, one like main conflict, which also branch like kind of branches out into individual things but it all kind of ties back into the main thing and has a huge payoff at the end of each season i think that that's the perfect structure to a television show and i think it's why it's replicated so often and to hear that this is like um something that wayward pines doesn't do granted i don't know what wayward pines is i've actually never even heard of it but um for them to kind of just like throw everything at you in the middle of a bunch of seasons i think it kind of uh, from, from what it sounds and um, how I would take it is it kind of it kind of takes away a lot of the importance or uh, it kind of changes uh, your focus on the things that maybe you should be focusing on or um, paying a little bit more attention to. But yeah, no, I think it could totally be done today. And I think uh, the return is is kind of like proof of that. Not not to go not to sway too much off the path, but do you think that the return was able to do that because it was on a PPV network? It's a good question. I mean, I I think that like um, if it was to be on like ABC or something like that, mm -hmm. I feel like that they are more inclined to take less risk. But I think it's also because that they're budgets are different and so their expectations of um their main audience uh on like what they would like or what that they would be into they kind of stick to a more formulaic kind of uh show but mm -hmm. um I, I think when you're paying for a premium like hbo or showtime or something like that i think they're going to get the subscription money from you anyway or from other people so if it doesn't do as less it doesn't really depend on the viewership as much as it depends on like um the positive talk and reviews afterwards if that makes sense am i making any sense yeah yeah, yeah but yeah. um yeah no i think it does have something to do with the fact that it was you know on a premium channel gotcha. premium in quotes well 
You heard it here, folks. The Fog and Wayward Pines, our two weekly recommendations. Uh, but we're not here today to talk about those. No, 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 no. We are here to talk about a movie from 2022. Is this the first 22 we talked about? I think so. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think so. I think so. Okay, because we do have, I know we do have an unreleased Grizzly Gushings on Scream. So I think, dude. So I think this is the first 2022 uh, film we're talking about. And I'm, I'm, I'll say that I'm glad that this is the first one. I think that this is kind of a, a fitting um, meta commentary on, on uh, not just Gen Z, but the idea of horror movies. Um, but I'm done being vague. We are talking about bodies, bodies, bodies. If you read the title of this episode, you already knew that. So congratulations. Uh, this was um, distributed by A24, uh, directed by Helena Rain, I believe it is, R-E-I-J-N, uh, written by Sarah Delap and Kristen Rupinien, which I'm pretty sure is uh, Rupien is a form of currency somewhere um i think you're right or is it just rupees i think it's just rupees rupees. that was a dumb joke um (laughs) this film had a so i couldn't find the exact budget but a lot of things were saying um that the budget was around 17 million dollars um gross box office it did 13.9 million and on physical release, from the information that I was reading, um, it landed at about, I think, $1 million between pay-per-view and uh, physical, physical sales. So it unfortunately, again, from my information, hasn't made um, its budget back yet. But I think with a, with a, dist- with a distributor like A24, um, they have bigger movies so that they can take chances on, on smaller films like this. Yeah, I got a question, Ray. So thirteen point nine—that seems really low for an A twenty four movie in the peak of like A twenty four's popularity. Like twenty twenty two seems like A twenty four is like a big, like it's big for them. And for this to release, especially with the people, well, I guess I would say the person that's in it. uh, What's his face? The guy, Uh, Pete Davidson. Yeah, with Pete Davidson in it, A twenty four flick horror movie. A twenty twenty two seems popular. Like why? Like why do you think it did so bad? Uh, so I, I, I actually was kind of, I was kind of ruminating on that a little bit. Um, so, uh, I, what was the release date on this? Hold on. I had the release date somewhere. Um, release date was August 12th. So I think it was still kind of it because Scream did, I think, 60 million uh but this uh bodies 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 uh from what i'm remembering it it didn't have a limited release but it also didn't have a huge release so i think that it was still kind of in that phase of people were getting ready to go back to the theaters but they weren't full-blown gung-ho but january february march april may june july august Okay, like so summertime is it though, right? Yeah, so honestly, I I don't know because this seems like the perfect summer, the perfect summer movie. Um, it it also could have been though because in the trailer, um, they kind of did what what Texas Chainsaw or what what was the what was the new te- was it called Texas Chainsaw Massacre the new one? Yeah, I think it was just a self titled. Um, um, oh, we did Hellraiser. Mm-hmm. That was twenty twenty two. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think because, you know, there's that stupid fucking line in the, in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre trailer where the guy's filming and he says, you're do anything, you're going to get canceled. I think this, the, the marketing for that, body. I, I was going to bring this up. Yeah. Was because after watching it, and if you've seen the movie, you know that it's not only, uh, kind of a parody on on gen z but how how gen z acts in in horror type scenarios 
Um, so I think that the marketing made it look like one film. And when I watched it, I realized it's a completely different, different thing than what, what it was marketed to be. I think that's part of the, like the twist though, right? Mm -hmm. Cause I think it is supposed to be marketed as like a Gen Z slasher movie, but Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like when I first saw the trailer to this, I'm going to be honest with you, even going into it this morning, I had, I wouldn't say zero interest in watching this movie, but my interest wasn't very high. Mm -hmm. And, um, I like a 24 films. It's just, uh, the way this, like the way the trailers presented itself, it looked like a, uh, spring breakers meets clue kind of thing. And I'm just, it, it didn't really interest me that much. However, um, I actually enjoyed it, but uh, yeah, wrap this into your um, opening thoughts. Yeah, so I watched this on Voodoo. Who do you Voodoo bitch or whatever it's called? Uh, voodoo movies. Uh, you were so kind enough to give me your uh, free digital copy, and I was hoping it'd be like every other movie nowadays, where it's like movies anywhere. Pick your platform mm. you wanted to download it on, and it didn't do that. So it's like you're gonna watch this on Voodoo, and I was like, <laughs> I mean, hey, it's free. Thank you, Brendan. And also, it's in HD. I had no complaints. It was in 4K, so I was cool with it. And um, so that's where I watched it. And I am going to surprise myself by saying that I actually really enjoyed this movie. Um, I thought this movie was really fun. Um, Going back to the marketing, uh, these people came off to me like I was going to be very annoyed with them and they were going to be um a kind of cast that like you root against mm-hmm. and that that was completely opposite up until the end when you started to see just the moral lines break down and and people show their true colors um i would say the first half of the movie i actually tolerates not the right word but i i I enjoyed the performances from everybody and i actually was invested in all the characters their flaws and all so um i could relate to a few of the people in the sense that like i've known people like that um i've been around people like this i've gone to parties like this i've been the person who's gone to a party where nobody knew me like like a small knit group like that Mm -hmm. and I was kind of thrusted in with first impressions and having to kind of like establish, you know, um, you know, the importance of me being there and just like the whole thing, the drugs and everything. So like, um, it was, it, it was a good fun watch and, um, I'll leave it there for now until we kind of get into more of the film. But would I add this to my collection? Yes, I would add this to my collection. Um, curveball question. Uh, I, I assume Dom did not watch this with you. She did not, only because she was getting ready for work. But Dom really wants to watch this movie. So when she found out that we were doing it for the cast um, and she had to work today, she was bummed that she oh. couldn't watch it with me. So she's going to watch it on Saturday, and she's very excited okay. about it. So I'm, I'm very curious to hear her thoughts on it as well. Yeah, she, she um, out of the two of us, she was the one that was actually like looking forward to it before watching it. So Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I purchased it. Uh, I had been waiting. I I wanted to see it when it was in theaters. I just didn't get around to it, unfortunately. So I guess that 13.9 is partially my fault. Um, I, I'm very glad that I have it in my collection. This was a very, very fun movie. Um, I never really got into playing Among Us, uh, only because, um, I didn't have, you know, like a large group of people to play it with. And I, I kind of thought that playing it with a group of strangers wouldn't be as fun because, you know, you know, your friends, you know, their bluffs. Um, uh, you know, there's the one line where Pete Davidson calls out Emma saying, look, she's doing that, that dry swallow thing. That she does. <laughs> I love that. He's like, you're swallowing. She's like, swallowing is a normal <laughs> thing to do. <laughs> like, what do you mean I'm swallowing? Um, so funny. I think. This is so. Uh, this story was based off of a story called Cat People that the writer wrote for the New York Times, and I think 2016. Uh, so this movie started as a spec script off of the story Cat People. 
So this was kind of Among Us before Among Us was a thing. And I I will say if this movie maybe came out like a year before, if this movie was released on streaming at the height of COVID, at the height of Among Us, I think that it would have, well, if it was streaming, they wouldn't have made as much money. But I see what you're saying, um, though. Like, yeah, Popularity-wise. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I think it would have been a lot more popular, which is also kind of why I think that um, that uh, Glass Onion was as big as it was, because... Uh, because Knives Out hit streaming during the height of height of COVID and it got people really excited. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm really glad that I that I own this movie. I'm bummed that I waited so long to watch it, but I'm really really glad I did. Um, I don't know if if you could. I'm kind of uh, throwing this one at you. With I should have asked you first. If you can describe this movie in one sentence. How would you do it? And I'll, I'll give you my description first. Um, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Um, bodies, bodies, bodies is a whodunit slasher, semicolon, like Clue on meth. I should have said Coke, actually. Like Clue on Coke. Bodies, bodies, bodies is a film adaptation and reimagination for the reason why Kyle doesn't like to have friends. <laughs> oh, there you go. Perfect. <laughs> With Coke. Um, so there's actually a, um, an interesting correlation that I noticed between this film and Diary of the Dead. So whereas Diary of the Dead was directed by a film director using stage actors, this film was directed by a stage actor using actual actors. So I, I personally think this would make a great play. I think that this could play on off-Broadway. Hell, it could probably even get on, on Broadway. And I think that it would have wild success. Do you think that... Because this it's a very contained story. It's one house... Um, Nothing extreme happens, you know. This type of of blood and gore is something that that you can see on on Broadway and off Broadway today. It's it's nothing that's out of the realm of possibility to to be in a stage play. So, do you think that? Um, two questions. So, one, do you think that a story like this being directed by a stage actor? Uh, do you think having a stage actor direct this kind of makes it feel more realized? And two, do you think that this could be adapted into a stage play? I don't think that it being directed by a stage actor um, makes it more realized. However, to your second question, I'll, I'll, I'll go back to the first, but to the second question, I think this would work really well as a stage play. I mean, this movie um, relies heavily on the relationships of the characters and the ones that they have or like the relationships that they have with each other um and them being able to portray and make the audience believe that they have these connections and um hold these secrets with each other and it's it's less on the kills and the setting i mean the kills there's really only one that happens on screen everything else happens off screen so that's something you could easily do in a stage play shut shut down the lights turn the lights back on oh someone's dead on the floor you know what i mean like that's that would go perfect with the stage play and like you said the setting is just the house and even in the house it's really only um aside from them running out to the car being in the pool in the very beginning it's really only in like three different rooms so they could totally turn this into a stage play and um it would really rely on the strength of the actors to, you know, convey, uh, you know, the relationships they have with each other, similar to the movie. So yeah, I could totally see that, and I can totally see the argument to how like this is already kind of like a stage play and like on film. So, so there was um, a heavy emphasis in natural once. So uh, for those of you, who so what don't do you know, think? Hold on, all the way. What do you think about the your questions, the stage play, and the? Uh, do you think that uh, a stage director directing this um, had any kind of relevancy in its? Oh, I I do one hundred percent. I think that 
uh, I I think that the the word that I used was was uh, um, was realized. Uh, I yeah. I think that having uh, shit. What's her name? Heidi Heidi Gardner. Um, uh, Helena Rain Regine. Um, I think having her direct this over someone who's only ever directed films. I think that it brings a certain clarity to, because at the end of the day, this is a, a character study. It, it's a, it's a character study on top of a horror film. So I think that the film would have felt too overproduced and shit. If you know, every conversation was cut, 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 match, cut, match, cut back and forth, you know, over the shoulder stuff. I think that the way that they decided to, to film this movie and, and her direction behind it, I think it feels very much like a stage play. And I think that if it was done any other way, I do not think it would have worked. Um, and if this went on Broadway or off Broadway, I would do everything in my power to be their opening night because this would be, this would be absolutely incredible. And the one scene that really stuck out to me was when, uh, what's his name? Uh, when they find David and he's laying in the, the basketball courtroom and it's, and it's, uh, bright red lights. He's wearing, you know, his, his, um, his mask. And I just think that it would create such such like uh, a serotonin rush if you know uh the stage goes black you know it's completely pitch black in the theater and then those red lights come up the entire audience is is washed in a red light you know for for the first kill that we actually get to see i think that there are so many moments that would just translate so unbelievably well on stage that that this this show would be an incredible success that poor guy too, man. He was just vibing. I know. Like he was just vibing, dude. So, um, I, I want to ask kind of a sp- sp- spoilery question, but I don't want us to really get into the giant twist just yet. Did up until that point, did you think David was the killer? Did, did you ever think you knew who the killer was? No, but I th- think that the movie did a good job at presenting a lot of motives for many people um, to kind of keep you guessing. So um, they didn't go with the tropes of like, obviously this person is obviously mm-hmm. this person. Uh, they they kept everybody pretty neutral for the most part, I think. I mean, I had I had suspicions as the director was presenting them to me in the film, Mm -hmm. which I think was a good sign of its pacing. And um, they were kind of directing my mind to, you know, pay attention to certain people when they wanted me to, which I think was really good. Um, But no, at any given time when I was to suspect a certain person, it would kind of shift focus to another and um, to keep you guessing. And I think that's a really good thing that they did as far as like making a movie like this. But David in particular, I almost never had a suspicion about David. Um, Like there was the bag with like the survival stuff, but even then, but it's a hurricane um, party. Oh no, wait, 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 David. I'm sorry. David is Pete Davidson. Oh, 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 oh. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I thought we were talking about Greg. Greg, that that's what I meant to say. That, that's what I thought you were talking about. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, th- there was no point in the movie where I really suspected Greg. There was the whole, the like, the points were being made of, like, you only knew him for two weeks. Mm-hmm. He had the bag with the knives, but he was just prepared. But, it, like, even when those things were being presented to me, I think that not knowing him for two weeks was more of a strong, or was a stronger, uh, m- red flag than the knives and the map in the bag um but no i i always kind of had good vibes about him about greg what about you uh well so uh i think he there were two of the funniest revelations i think with his character the first one being when uh her his girlfriend Alice, when Alice says that he was a vet, I love that 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 um, 
that just complete and utter miscommunication where everyone thinks like he was a war vet. Yeah. And then it turns out that he was just a veterinarian, um, which I thought was absolutely hysterical. Um, but th- that that scene that we were talking about um, a, a few minutes ago that takes place in the in the gymnasium where you know he's wearing the mask and he has his his Raycon earbuds in. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> use code Dead Meat. Uh, <laughs> um, I I just thought that scene is is the funniest scene in the movie. Like if you think about it, because he thinks that they're still just playing this fucking game. You know, he's completely. Uh, detached from the reality of the situation. So they're absolutely terrified. And he's like, oh shit, we're still playing werewolf. And then he's jovial and, and joking with them. And they he, he has a huge grin on his face and they are legitimately terrified every time he lunges at them. Well, yeah, that part is actually pretty crazy if you think about it. Like imagine being in the, the girl's shoes mm-hmm. and them finding the dead body having at this point like hardcore suspicions for Greg and then him like, you know, trying to play it off in their minds and like, ah, like getting all up in their faces. Like that would be fucking terrifying. Like mm-hmm. that would be legitimately terrifying um, in their shoes. So I can only imagine. And I think, I think some, some bad choices would be made. And I'm surprised that the girl who decide to um, take action, uh, uh be, yeah, I'm surprised she, you know, did that. But this goes back to the last episode where I'm, I've been watching so many Explore With Us videos that, like, I've seen people like this just, like, let one thing snowball out of, like, control. Like, somebody that would never do something, or, like, quote-unquote, yeah. never do something like that. Just, like, let it snowball. And then you're just like, what are you doing? Like, and this was, like, one of those examples. Well, and, and you know, to your point with the whole B thing, uh, this they do such a good job with the the misdirection because you have B who uh, quote unquote accidentally leaves the light in the car on. And we find out that she was lying about where she went to school, where she worked. You have, um, sorry, I want, I just want to make sure that I get all of their names, uh, correct. Uh, you have Sophie who just got out of rehab and all of her friends basically hate her. And she relapsed and she's a cheater and she's a liar. (laughs) You have, you have Emma who wants to be the center of attention constantly. And when she doesn't get that, what is she in, in hell? Her boyfriend just basically, he didn't break up with her, but you know, he, he more or less basically said that he doesn't like being with her. And then you have Jordan who, uh, who basically despises everyone and hates her best friend's podcast, which that whole podcast thing, that whole podcast bit was hysterical. And uh, there's even that one. I felt so sorry for Alice even before that. I was just like, she might be like the most genuinely nice person there. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, until she kind of goes off, but I think she really only goes off out of like retaliation because of the podcast thing. But I think Alice might be the most genuinely nice person there. Yeah, she she's empty-headed. Yeah, but yeah, yeah but yeah, it, she has no ill intentions where other people no, do. And her, her her line, a podcast takes a lot of work. <laughs> um, and and I uh, I just I I just want to keep pointing out like all these funny moments that the moment where Sophie B Jordan and Alice, um, when uh when B makes it back into the house to say that Jordan has the gun um every time they talk about about Alice's podcast Jordan rolls her fucking eyes and and she's like say you like the podcast and she's like I I like the podcast and then it's a podcast about me and my funny smart best friend and Jordan just uh it's just there's so many subtle moments that I that I just think are are so great especially just for a fucking slasher movie which i guess technically it's not really a slash i keep calling it that it's not really a slasher movie yeah it's not it's not no. a slasher movie i i think this would be a a good point for us to get into the big twist where uh so basically it turns out that <laughs> he's filming with a TikTok video. Yeah, there, he was so emasculated by when when Greg did the uh, the Alibaba sword slicing open the uh, the champagne at the beginning. He tries it for himself. Uh, Pete Davidson, uh, David, 
and he uh, slits his own throat. How were how on a scale of one to ten, how much did this twist surprise you, or at least how much did it come out of uh, out of thin air? It came completely out of thin air. I mean, I don't know who was expecting them that watched this movie. If anybody tells you that they were expecting this twist, they're, lying. they're fucking lying. Okay, whether they not or whether or not they think it's a good twist, that's irrelevant. But if you say that you saw this coming, you're fucking lying. So when I saw it happen, I was like, like audibly i was like are you fucking kidding me <laughs> like i literally said that out loud and i was like that is insane that is wild and uh i actually liked it i actually liked the uh, twist a lot i think that's what kind of sealed it for me because leading up the first half of the movie i thought was really fucking strong and the last half of the movie they started to pit everybody against each other and they were presenting um a lot of red flags for everybody to be the killer. So in my head, as it was getting closer to the end, I was like, they better have a good, like if they don't have a good payoff, this is going to be, this is going to go from a movie I enjoyed to like an okay movie. Mm -hmm. Like, like they got to have a good payoff. And I think for what this movie was trying to do and the audience it was made for, I think that this was a fitting conclusion. And I think that, like I said, I don't think anybody expected this to happen. So the fact that they went a route that is uh, not predictable and um, frankly, I mean, I, I, I don't know, man. I just think it was a good ending and I think it was a fitting ending. And I think even the fact that it was Pete Davidson who did it to himself is even more fitting, <laughs> to be honest. But yeah, no, it was great. It was great. This is the type of twist that M. Night Shyamalan wants that well. feeling is no i'm saying like that feeling is the type of twist that he tries to go for and fails repeatedly mm, okay i i might get some shit for this i'm probably going to get a lot of shit for this but i will say the twist in this movie top 15 twists in all of horror in all of horror in all of horror i mean i can't I won't argue it now. There's some pretty good twists in oh, horror. There's some pretty good twists. But like the fact that Bruce Willis was wearing a hairpiece the whole time in the, the sixth whole sense. time. He was bald. You never knew. <laughs> um, okay, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, so I, I, I didn't, I didn't answer my one of my earlier questions of if I thought anyone was the killer and i was thinking that they were going to take the easy way out and have it be one of my favorite comedians of all time connor o'malley who plays max um they kept teeing it up and i was like no it, it's it's too on the nose um it's going to be too easy but i think they're going to go with max um hashtag minion squad for life i love you connor o'malley um but when they that moment where Max just like comes up at the end and he's like, Hey, what's going on? <laughs> I was just so relieved when, when they decided to not use him as the killer. Um, cause it, it was too easy. It was, it was too easy. And I'm, I'm just glad that I, I think that if Max was the killer, a 24 would not have put their name. I mean, that's the movie. thing though, is there was no killer. Like everybody was just killing each other. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean. You know, like, and that, and that, that's. I think that's one of the other. There was no killer the whole yeah. time. The whole movie, you're thinking there's a killer. There was no killer. Like literally, they were just freaking themselves out. All coked do you, up. Do you think that Emma fell down the stairs uh, because of the uh, the pills that uh, Sophie gave her? It would have had to have been right because nobody yeah. was killing each other purposely. Until, yeah. you know, well, excluding uh, Greg and or, Alice. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, uh, yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so excluding those two, like, nobody was, there was no killer. So she had to have passed out, fallen. It looked like her throat was cut, though. Like, there was a lot of blood. Yeah. Like, so I don't know how, like, that all happened, because she was, like, really bloody. Mm -hmm. And if she fell down the stairs, I don't know if there would be necessarily all that blood on her, like, neck. I, 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 I don't know what happened. But, um, 
Yeah, I mean, she she would have had to have had to have fallen, I guess. I mean, so uh, one question that I I really want to get your thoughts on here. Um, so, in an interview with the director, uh, she stated that the source. Uh, so they uh, they used natural light for this movie. Ninety nine percent of the light that you see were from cell phones, flashlights, everything like that, which I think is very impressive, especially for a film that takes place all in the dark. Um, The source of light each character uses is symbolism for their personality. B has her phone strapped to her hip, showing her uh, selflessness for her mother, for helping her mother and others. Jordan uses a headlamp, showing her spotlight for uh, no-nonsense confrontation. Alice covers herself in glow tubes, showing her desire to be liked and the center of attention. Emma uses a light showing her desire to be introverted. Um, Interestingly, Greg and David are never shown to use any light. Um, Do you have any thoughts on that? I don't. But if you do, I'd love to hear it. Uh, I I kind of think that that's over-justification for... I think it's just one of those things in... It seems a little reachy. Yeah. It seems a little reachy. Uh, I, I think it's one of those those things in art where it's a situation that happens and you can say that it was on purpose, even if it wasn't. Mm-hmm. So, um, but you know, I, I do think that, uh, there are some good, uh, some good bits of, of social commentary, um, within this film. You know, a lot of it is somewhat of a parody, but it's also a look at the relationship that not only Gen Z, but the relationship that, you know, us millennials and even, oh, um, and even, you know, uh, Gen X has, because everyone is addicted to cell phones, whether you like it or not, everyone is basically addicted. So I love at the end when, when Sophie and V are still trying, uh, um, they're still trying to figure out who the killer was, you know, right before the reveal. Um, they get into a scuffle, and the gun flies one way, and the phone flies the other way. And rather for them fighting over who can get to the gun, they fight over who can get to the phone first. Which I I thought that was that was kind of some very interesting um, political commentary. Uh, did did you did you notice uh or did you did you care for any of the this if you if you noticed it, um, any of the social commentary that was within the film? I didn't know, or I don't know if as far as any like political commentary, but like social commentary wise, I think it was interesting that these people had such a bigger problem in front of them, but they would keep falling back to trivial things about themselves. They kept making it about themselves. And that's, I mean, they they were probably all friends for a reason and those kind of people kind of gravitate towards each other and there's a killer going around murdering a person in the home and they keep making it about their podcast or making it about their friendships or making it about them cheating or making it about mm-hmm. them um like like all like anything else to distract themselves from the real problem at hand which is there's a murderer in the house and they're coming <laughs> to kill you <laughs> And they have all these other conversations, um, trying to slight each other, trying to you know bring each other down. They're all just really shitty people, and um, yeah, I think that that kind of goes back to what you're saying with social commentaries. And I don't think it's just a Gen Z thing, but I think a lot of the reason why in my personal life I have fallen out of friendships is for that reason alone is people make things about them and they don't look at the bigger picture. And I think that's a humanity thing for the most part. Um, and I, I think this portrayed that well, but that is very astute. I will say, what about you? Um, so horror has always been political. Look back at, um, night of the living dead when the police killed the only black man, you know, horror is always has been and always will be a political um genre and it's the easiest genre to be political with um i think that nowadays there are films that take it a little too over the top but i think that this film was i I think that the writing 
was was um well done was was done well enough that there are those underlayers of political and social commentary but it's also just a really good movie on top of it so it doesn't feel like you're being um you know bashed you know in the back of the head with a kettlebell um with with the uh that was stupid um <laughs> with was uh, <laughs> with political commentary so i i think that that they did a good job raising the points they wanted to make and didn't force it down your throat. Agreed. So, but for the sake of brevity, I think we should uh, get into our final thoughts and ratings, unless there was anything else you wanted to bring up. No, no. All right. No. Well, uh, hit me with them, them FTs. So, yeah, I was surprised by this film um, only because I wasn't expecting to like it. I wasn't expecting to come out of it with a a positive state of mind, I guess. I don't know. I I think that I've said on this podcast before, and I know we all don't feel like this. These are just my thoughts. Is I, I don't think 2022 was a strong year for horror, personally. And um, I think I this is one that um, I wish I kind of would have seen in 2022 because I think that um, it's one of the stronger ones I've seen, one of the more original ones I've seen. And uh, I think I would highly recommend this movie to not just people that like A24 films, but um, that just want a fun horror experience. And yeah, I'm going to add this to my collection. I'm excited about it. Um, I think on Amazon right now it's only twelve dollars on Blu-ray, so I'm gonna. It's, it's eighteen dollars for a DVD, twelve on Blu-ray. Yeah, it makes no sense, but I'm gonna yeah. cop it for twelve bucks. I think it's completely worth twelve bucks, and uh, um, I think that more people should watch this because I don't think it should be in the red right now as far as it's how much money it's gotten back. But uh, I'm gonna give this movie a three and a half stars with a heart. Oh, okay. You thought it's gonna be a little higher. No, 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 no. I, I was expecting either that or I can't do math. Either that or a four. Yeah, I'm going three um, and a half and a heart. It's getting a heart for sure, though. Uh, and let's see. We'll just add Ian's rating. Um, one a, out of five. A, a one. Yeah, I was gonna say a half, <laughs> half star. Um, this this movie was gives a, fucking Megan a five out of five or whatever you gave <laughs> Megan. Go fuck yourself, Ian. Uh, this movie was a complete surprise. I. I knew I was going to have fun, but I didn't think I was going to enjoy it as much as I did. Um, yeah, same. I feel like I'm just mirroring mirroring what you said. I do also wish, again, mirroring, I wish I would have watched it in 2022, but nonetheless, I watched it now. I already have it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rep for this movie, Hardcore. Uh, we need more fun horror movies. We don't always need serious shit. We just need stuff that can be a comfort film. And I think that that this is going to go on to have continued a good amount of continued success within uh, the the history of horror. So I'm go. Oh, Ian would hate this. I'm going to give it a four out of five. But you gave Cure a three. Um, what a <laughs> uh, classic. And, um, and a heart. So that brings the official ruminations of Red Brum rating to a 3.75, which does that round up? I think six, seven, I think six, seven rounds down, eight, nine rounds up. Okay. Okay. That's fair. Uh, So then that gives the score for the ruminations of Red Rum a 3.5 with a heart. And I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Totally fair. Yeah. On a just last thing to say, I think that this is an overlooked A24 film for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I will agree with that 100%. All right, so before we get into America's the world's soon to be the world's favorite podcast game, we are going to take a quick message uh we're we're going to hear some stuff. Um, <laughs> take a listen to some of the other wonderful shows on the Rumination Radio Network.
and we're back and for the outro and for the outro hey guys welcome back and for the and for the outro just go ahead just just you know say what you want oh i'm winging it twitter discord wing it we're online google us we're online you know how to Google, right? Bing us. You can Bing us. Hey Siri, what's and we're not on TikTok. It will never be on TikTok, no. so don't ask. Okay. Um. All right. So we are back for the world's favorite podcast game. What's in the box? Uh, this is a game where uh my co-hosts uh will well, actually we're doing a little bit different today since it's just two of us. So basically, what happens is we will read the description of a film on Letterboxd. Letterboxd is a user aggregated score uh, social media type thing where you watch a movie, you give it a one out, zero out of five stars, um, and that creates a zero out of five score for a movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, so after reading the description, uh, we will have to guess the star rating on a film within 0. 0.3, uh, per, uh, 0.3 number on the I'm nailing it right now. I'm nailing it. Just uh, killing it. Basically, you gotta you gotta guess what the point what the the star rating of the movie is. If you get it, you get a point. Uh, and then round two is you gotta guess the decade. If you get the point on on the point if you get the if you get the rate on the point you get two points you having a stroke right now what is that oh seriously um also uh like-minded cinephiles use the app not pedophiles (laughs) (laughs) that's omegle um okay so uh today uh kyle and i each have three movies picked um si senor and we're gonna we're gonna get right into it uh, do you want to go first? You pick. You're the host. All right, you can go first. Okay, and I'll uh, I'll keep score. Year to date, it's me with a K at zero, Brendan at two, Ian at one. So it's my chance to tie it up with the old ghost over there. Here we go. Vietnam, nineteen sixty. <laughs> <laughs> Vietnam. 1969 war is hell for marine sergeant jack striker however hell is just the beginning trapped outside a Viet Cong village striker takes two bullets to the lake sent home from the war he discovers his ex-girlfriend has been kidnapped by a religious cult with a vicious mansion-like leader manson-like leader striker teams up with some marine friends to form an assassination squad and annihilate the gang of crazed killers. This sounds amazing, by the way. It, it does. Like, fucking amazing. Guess the score. Oh, shit. I just realized I did not write the scores down. Please hold. <laughs> All right, I'm ready. Okay. Uh, th- 3.1. Brendan gets the point. It is at 2.9. Guess the decade. Um, 1993. Or the 90s. It is incorrect. It is the 1985 film, Thou Shall Not Kill, dot, 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 except... I've heard of that. I love the cover of that movie. Dude, I want to watch it. Like, I'm going to watch this movie soon for sure. All right. Let's see. All right. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. We got four minutes. Okay. Troubled by recurring dreams about the ghost of a murdered woman, an engineering student connects his visions to a disturbing missing persons case. Genre horror thriller mystery. 2.9. 2.9. You got it on the cusp. It is 3.2. Ooh. Guess the decade. 2000s. Oh, god damn. Double dicking them points. It is 2007's Body, directed by Pauline 
Purjit Panya. Nailing it. Never heard of it. Either. What made this most diabolical murder weapon ever... Wait, what? What made this the most diabolical murder weapon ever used? That's the tagline. Loner Mark Lewis works at a film studio during the day and at night takes racy photographs of women. Also, he... He's making a documentary on fear, which involves recording the reactions of victims as he murders them. He befriends Helen, the daughter of the family living in the apartment below his, and he tells her vaguely about the movie he is making. Oh, I thought this was 8mm for a second. Um, 2.7. That is incorrect. It is at 4.0. Guess the decade. 2010. The 10s. That is also incorrect. It is the 1960 film Peeping Tom. Uh, Directed by Michael Powell. All right. Number two. She's evil and not just high school evil. Tagline. A newly possessed cheerleader turns into a killer who specializes in offing her classmates. Can her best friend put an end to the horror? Genre horror comedy. 3.2. On the cusp again, it is 3.5. Guess the decade. 2010s. Ah, Shit, you're right. <laughs> it is 2009's Jennifer's Body. Oh no, I was wrong. I, I said 2010's. So I didn't get that second point. Oh, you didn't get it. No. Oh shit. Oh shit. Sorry, I jumped the gun there. No, no, um, you're good. You're good. Do you notice a theme with my movies? Yes. Oh, no, I don't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Number three, final. When night falls. The wolves will hunt. Tagline. Four friends gather at an elegant home during the summer of love. 1969. How right. Unbeknownst to them, deadly visitors are waiting outside. What begins as a simple farewell party turns to a night of primal terror as the intruders stalk and torment the four who struggle for their lives against what appears to be a senseless attack. It's not the strangers. Um, three, 3.1. That seems safe. That is incorrect. It is 1.8. <laughs> Guess the decade. Uh, the 90s. Also incorrect. Oh it is the 2016 film Wolves at the Door. Directed by John Leonetti. Hmm. All right. All right. (laughs) (laughs) My last one. Tagline, cold body, warm heart. After a zombie becomes involved with the girlfriend of one of his victims, their romance sets in motion a sequence of events that might transform the entire lifeless world. Genre comedy horror romance. Mm. (laughs) 3.3. Ooh, you did just miss that one. By one point, it's 2.9. Guess the decade. It's Warm Bodies, I'm pretty sure. But I don't know the... I don't know if it's 2000s or 2010s. I want to say 2010s. You are correct. It is 2013's Warm Bodies. And my theme for these movies was Body, Body, Bodies. Oh, okay. I like it. I like it. Okay. Damn, you ran away with this one. Yeah, this was an interesting one. I was kind of on point, like more, way more than usual. <laughs> but that puts uh, year-to-date me at one, Brendan at two, and Ian at one. Suck it, Ian. Take that. That being said, this has been another episode of Ruminations of Red Rum, the imposter of the Ruminations Radio Network. If you like what we're doing here, be sure to uh, check us out on uh I, you can uh, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts. Give us a rating. We'd greatly appreciate it, as long as it's a four or a five. 
you can follow us on Twitter at of Red Rum. That's O F Red Rum. The O F does not stand for OnlyFans. Uh, you can also uh, join our Discord. The Discord invite link is in the bio of our Twitter. Uh, and also, if you want to recommend a movie, you can uh, uh, you can DM us on Twitter on uh, the the IGs or put it in the Discord. Um, and also, if you like what we're doing here, be sure to check out the other shows. You can find that at ruminationsradionetwork.transistor.fm. I remembered that. Good shit, dude. Um, that being said, I have been your host, Brendan, Mr. Fantastic. And with us, as always, is Kyle. What the get? Dylan, sorry you couldn't make it, buddy, but you were here in spirit, and we love you. See you in the Discord. Hail Ratma, folks, and stay spooky. Mm-hmm.